stuff off. It's good to see you tonight. Acts chapter 2. We'll be in the book of Acts. We're going to talk about fellowship tonight. A call to fellowship. And I trust you enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Um, I know I certainly do. And so I know Brother Sullivan just told you you could sit down, but if you would stand with me in honor of reading the Word of God, um, we're going to read verse 41 down through the end of the chapter, and then you can take your seat. Verse 41, Acts chapter 2, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Heavenly Father, tonight we do thank you for this warm facility that we can gather together and to look into your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would meet with us at this time, that you would speak to each and every heart here. Lord, you know the needs. And, Father, I pray that it would be profitable and that we would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, that our fellowship would be strengthened even and we'll give you the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So in verse 42 of our text, we see this account of the early church, and it says, And they continued steadfastly steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And, and many local churches place great importance on being true to the Word of God, uh, certainly absorbing observing the ordinances of the local church and being fervent in prayer. And, and those are, rightly so, those are important things. Uh, but what about fellowship? Uh, how much emphasis do we place on fellowship? Uh, do we properly understand this facet of the Lord's church um, as we gather together and as we assemble? And are we practicing it in a way that's consistent with Scripture uh, and really the example of the early church that we see in the New Testament. And so tonight I want to examine this idea of fellowship a little bit. And uh, certainly we want to ensure we have a proper understanding of the, the application of fellowship in the church. Um, the Greek word is koinoia. I'm pretty sure that's not how it would properly be. How did you say that, ma'am? Koinonia. There you go. If you need pronunciation help, Google or Mrs. Vaughn. Uh, I, I usually Google it, and then I hack it up anyway. So, But that's the Greek word, and it is defined. Listen to Strong's definition of this. Partnership. And then it says, as is literally, look at it, participation. Participation. I think that's going to be a key to what we look at tonight. Uh, are you participating in church, in the assembly? Uh, and, and it goes on and talks about communion and contribution and, and distribution and communication and those things and fellowship. Here's what Webster says about communion. Uh, 
And it says intimate familiarity. How familiar are you with the church family? Are you intimately familiar with them? Uh, Now the definition of familiarity. Intimate and frequent converse or association in company. It says this, hence ease, easiness of conversation, affability, freedom from ceremony, right? It doesn't have to be ceremonious. And then here again it says intimacy, intimate acquaintance, unconstrained intercourse. Would that describe how you feel when you come and gather together with the body? Uh, It's an intimate and there's unconstrained fellowship, we might say. In uh, in Webster, he cites First John chapter one, and I'll read First John one seven. It says, "But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin." And so, uh, I would say our fellowship as believers and as the body of Christ is due to our common relationship in Christ. Uh, that's why we uh, gather here together. We we talk about a church has covenanted together. Uh, we've committed to some things into fellowship together. Albert Barnes says this in regards to the fellowship there, just talked about in First John. He says this, We have fellowship one with another. As we all partake of his feelings and views, we shall resemble each other. Loving the same God, embracing the same views of religion, and living for the same ends. We shall, of course, have much that is common to us all, and thus shall have fellowship with each other. And so certainly Christ is uh, the, the thing that binds us together as us being in Christ. And uh, certainly that's what brought me to this church. And uh, looking for a place that I could gather with the people of God uh, that wanted to learn of the, uh, of the scriptures in a like-minded way. And uh, for those that have been in my Sunday school class, uh, we looked at I don't know if anybody remembers anything that I say, uh, but we looked at a a lesson series about the one another. Uh, We had a series about the one another's, and we learned about the reciprocal plural pronoun. And here's another Greek word, alelone. And it's a reciprocal plural pronoun, and it describes a mutual reciprocality of things. And so when we read in the Bible that we do these things one to another, or one for another, it's reciprocal. Uh, It's not a one-way street is what I'm saying. I lived on Maple Avenue in Spokane, Washington for for most of my childhood. It was a one-way. I didn't look both ways before I crossed the street. I just had to look the one way. Uh, Listen, the Christian life isn't a one-way road. God has designed the church, and and he's designed us uh, to fellowship with one another. And, uh, and so because of our individual relationships that we have uh, with God in Christ, we ought to have a significant bond as the people of God, as Christians. And, and listen, I would say that should be even so much more for those that regularly come to gather together. Those that are faithful to be here. Uh, we should know some important aspects of each other's lives. And... Uh, <clears throat> Listen, I got a lot to learn. Uh, And so I'm not saying that that I'm perfect at these things. Uh, But why is it at times does it seem that that's not the case? 
that our fellowship is, is not quite as tight-knit as maybe we, maybe even we would desire or maybe we think it ought to be? Uh, is it because we don't have enough programs to promote fellowship? And we need another class. We need another opportunity. And, and I'm sure perhaps some would say that that is the case. We need more programs. We need to have more classes. We need to do more things. And, uh, but I tend to disagree and think that it more, has more to do with our self-centered nature. Uh, we get too, too self-centered. And, and so we, we come to this problem of self-centeredness. And uh, I found some things several years ago. There were some churches that allowed researchers into their fellowship. They allowed folks into the church uh, to analyze their fellowship. And it was really in comparison uh, to other organizations, maybe some clubs, the Oak Lodge, I don't know, the Disabled American Veterans or VFW. I don't, I don't know what specific organizations they were comparing it to. But they were trying to make a distinction between the type of fellowship in a church. Because, listen, our fellowship should be different. Uh, those people will gather because oftentimes they have a common link, our common link being Christ. And, and listen, the desire to grow to be more like Christ, really. But So they did this, and, and here's some of the things that they discovered. Many members knew a very small percentage of the people. So, you know, in, in, in there were groups and pockets, right? It's kind of sometimes we know everybody. Like I could probably... Say most of your names from memory. I think I don't see anybody that that uh, I, I don't necessarily recognize. But but when we talk about fellowship and we're talking about an intimate connection with people, uh, in some cases, only a small percentage of them even knew the other people that they were gathering with. Uh, those who gathered for worship were mostly an anonymous group of worshipers. It's kind of is at least this was what it appeared from the outside perspective. Just people kind of came in, and it appeared to be pretty uh, unknown to one another. Listen, here, here's one. They were not a genuine community of souls prepared to bear one another's burdens. That's troubling because we're commanded to do that for one another in the church. Certainly, we don't want that to be said of our church. They expressed little interest in becoming more involved in each other's lives. So they weren't even interested in developing uh, a greater level of fellowship with, with the people of God. and uh, <laughs> They really just, they came to worship only for the sake of their own spiritual life. It was about what I can get out of this thing. Uh, what, how can I benefit? And listen, I don't think that any of these would be a good description of what our assembling should look like. Uh, that would not be a biblical definition of Fellowship. Uh, the bottom line, they said in, the, in their research, the church, churches that were analyzed consisted of members who were self-centered. That was one of their bottom conclusions. People were more concerned about what they could get out of it. And then they said this, therefore, truly, little fellowship of any sort was taking place. Now, this was done years ago, and, and there's more to it, and uh, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to weary you with that. But, uh, but I don't want you to jump to conclusions. I'm not suggesting that the same exists here. And I really would say, for the most part, I don't think it does. Uh, I think we do have good fellowship. Um, now, could we do better? I'm sure we could. Do you know everybody's name? Do you know the burdens that they have? Uh, do you even know if they have a burden? 
listen, sometimes they might not share specifics, but uh, do you know that they're struggling? Uh, But we must recognize there is a danger and potential for losing uh, the kind of fellowship that we should experience in church. Like I said, I'm not saying we are struggling like those churches that were analyzed, but we need to be aware of this and we need to guard against the fleshly tendency towards self-centeredness in our worship times, in our gathering times, in our assembly times. Uh, listen, those can destroy the spiritual fellowship God would have us experience in our church if we're self-centered. Uh, I think God's designed the church to be a blessing. And if we get self-centered, that will hinder that opportunity for it to be the blessing that God intended it. Uh, here's some, some reasons, and these is not, certainly not all-inclusive, but here's some reasons for self-centeredness in churches. Culture tends to creep into our churches. Like it or not, that's reality. Boy, we ought to be separated. We can, we can preach all we want. But the reality is oftentimes in our Christian lives, we allow the world and, and our culture to influence us. And that makes its way into the church. And, and certainly in our culture, there are many factors that pro, promote a me-first mentality. Uh, and that's nothing new. Uh, we see that throughout uh, the Bible Uh, But there seems to be certainly an ever-increasing attitude of self-centeredness and self-indulgent behavior in our nation. Uh, As a nation that was founded on biblical principles, uh, I think we are seeing uh, a stark difference to what it used to be like in America. I don't know, maybe you've heard of the entitlement mentality. Everybody just kind of seems to be entitled. That's self-centeredness. They're desiring, they think that they deserve some things. They, They want those things and uh, and so certainly there's philosophies out there and, and even some so-called religions, I guess they are religions, but uh, which involve the preoccupation with self. They're just looking out for number one. Humanism, and, and we won't weary ourselves with that in trying to name these things, but uh, certainly there's much emphasis on consumerism and materialistic gain, and that will always... Uh, produce self-centered people, if that's what you're focusing on. And additionally, we live in a mobile society. The reality is people can move. Rent a U-Haul tomorrow and be gone. Families move in, families move out, and and, uh, people come and people go, and uh, people hop from church to church. And so if you're doing that, how can you really develop any true fellowship? Uh, Listen, some live further distances away. We have cars, we're... We're mobile. People can live miles away. We're scattered throughout this Black Hills area, many of our church. And, and uh, so they live a significant distance, perhaps, from the church building where we do gather or even from one another. They live in eastern Pennington County, western Pennington County, uh, whatever the case may be. But we are a more mobile society. And listen, technology, I think, that's designed to bring people closer together has really moved us apart. You know, we have the telephone now. Does anybody even call it a telephone anymore? Cellular phone, smartphone, whatever we're calling these things. But we have phones and email and, and the blessing of social media. That was sarcasm. Um, but these things, you know, the, the thought was it will bring us together, but really the reality is it. I think it... it, it stretches us so much and and these things develop really just meaningless relationships they're not very meaningful 
You think you're connected to somebody, but you've never met them. I follow so-and-so on FacePlace. Who cares? Listen, that's not where our fellowship ought to come from. The internet, and, and I don't care how many followers you, followers you got. I'm starting to get southern here. I don't care how many followers you have on social media. That's not fellowship. That's not biblical fellowship. Uh, that's not connection like we can get in, in the local church. And so these facts do not prevent us from having proper fellowship. They just make it easier to become isolated uh, from the fellowship, and oftentimes unintentionally. No, I don't think we always purposely uh, come apart necessarily or lack fellowship. And, but sometimes we must admit that it's just simple failure to appreciate and apply biblical principles on fellowship in our life. We just refuse to make application of the admonitions and the exhortations in Scripture on fellowship. And so the church ought to be a fellowship, uh, a place of fellowship free of self-centeredness. And uh, listen, society trends may be nourishing the spirit of self-centeredness, but I believe God has designed the church to lead us in a different direction regardless of what the culture is doing, regardless of what society is doing, uh, if we apply God's, the principles of God's word in our life, we can have true intimate fellowship. We see this truth emphasized throughout. Uh, I'll use the term the apostles' doctrine because that's what is in our text in chapter 2. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We see that throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, This idea of fellowship is emphasized over and over. And tonight we're going to look at several verses. Uh, Just briefly, we'll skim through these things. And I want to remind you what our fellowship ought to look like. Uh, And I want you to notice as we go through this, the focus is not on self or personal interest. But the focus is on others. 1 Corinthians 12.25 Uh, If you want to turn there, you're free to. If not, I'll I'll read it to you. It says this, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. We are to care for one another. Listen, don't be a schismatic. Don't be one that favors schism in problems. We ought to have an earnest and true care for the fellow believers that we assemble with. Uh, do you care about their well-being? Do you you care enough to strive to help meet their needs if you're able to? Putting aside your own petty differences? Uh, Just because you want to be a blessing? Do you genuinely care for the fellowship? Do you look at promoting fellowship by caring for people? Uh, We ought to care for one another and be interested in one another. Uh, Look, at we ought to edify one another 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. And he says this, even as also you do. Hey, it's just a reminder to continue to do this thing. Uh, We're commanded to edify. We need to care and edify for one another. Uh, Here's one. I'm not so good at the spiritual song, song part, but we need to teach and admonish one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Boy, we ought to be teaching and admonishing and and encouraging one another. Uh, We are to pray for one another. 
my goodness, the heat is working today. I don't know what happened between now and Sunday. Are you guys hot? No. My ears are on fire. <laughs> this thing says it's set on 80. What in the world? 80. I can't fix it. We'll just have to suffer. Sorry, I apologize. It's hot in here. Praise the Lord, the boiler's working. Listen, we ought to pray for one another. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. That ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. I'm afraid some are struggling in sin because they do not reach out for help. Listen, you, you may need an accountability partner. Ask a brother or sister to pray for you. This person can be as close as your spouse, if you have one. Maybe it isn't your spouse. Maybe you need uh, to open up to somebody else and and share those. And and certainly we need to be wise in that matter. But listen, I think sometimes we struggle more than we really truly need to because we don't reach out and ask somebody for help. I need you to pray for me of this. And listen, if somebody comes to you and asks for prayer, don't violate their, their confidence in you that you would keep that private. Pray for them and keep it to yourself. Pray. We ought to be praying for one another. Listen, we ought to restore one another. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Don't ever think that you're above something that somebody may be struggling with. We need to restore them, encourage them. We are to bear one another's burdens. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's one. We are to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That word serve there means to enslave. We, we can voluntarily enslave ourselves in the service of the brethren. In, in our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be hospitable to one another. First Peter 4.9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Verse 10 goes on to say this, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Has God poured his grace out in your life and given you some blessings, given you some gifts, Are you using your gifts for the benefit of others? Are you serving others? Are you being hospitable and and, and trying to be a blessing and using those things that God's given you? It says there, even so the minister the same one to another. And uh, listen to this. This is what one commentator said. Regard what you have and what others have not as a gift bestowed upon you by God for the common good and be ready to impart it as the wants of others require. Are you ready to contribute? Are you ready to participate in this idea of fellowship? We ought to be intentional about our fellowship. And I understand it. Listen, there's different personalities. I am not the most outgoing person. I don't love conversing with everybody. I know I hide that well. 
But the truth of the matter is I can understand that somebody that doesn't want to come in and, and bump their gums the whole time they're here until they, they leave exhausted because they've just been talking so much. But the reality is we need fellowship. And we ought to be desiring to serve one another. And so for us to not put forth any effort into the matter, I think would be sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And listen, you have something that is valuable to the fellowship. You can be an encouragement, and sometimes you just have to start exercising it. I think of this kind of similar to soul winning. It can be nerve-wracking to think about knocking on somebody's door or how am I going to present Christ to somebody I see at the grocery store? And we can, we can get our stomach in knots, but oftentimes if you just do it and you're obedient to what God says about preaching and sharing the, your faith and, and sharing the gospel with others, what you'll find is a great satisfaction in that you've been obedient. And next thing you know, it becomes more comfortable for you the next time. And, and I think fellowship is the same way. Perhaps maybe you open up to somebody a little bit differently than you have in the past. You start sharing some things. And it doesn't have to be your deepest, darkest skeleton in the closet. That's not what I'm saying today. But tell them about the victories that you had that week. Tell them about the things that are happening in your family, the exciting things. Uh, And certainly, if you feel the need, share some of your struggles. And we'll talk about, I got some practical application here in a few moments. But we see this truth it's, we're exhorted throughout the New Testament to do these things. All those things that I just described are things that develop fellowship among God's people. There are different aspects of it, but if we would just participate in those things and make it a serious matter of effort, um, but then we can also see in the New Testament some things uh, where the, this truth is exemplified in the early, early church. We don't need to look any further than here in Acts chapter 2 in our text that we read. Look at the fellowship that these people are having. We'll read these verses one more time, 41 through 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And so here we are. They have this common bond in Christ, right? And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Listen, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. There had to be communication taking place to understand that there were needs. right? There, were, there was fellowship taking place is what I'm trying to tell you tonight. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Talk about hospitality. House to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I can't help but believe if if we had a more intimate fellowship, how that might impact our ability to reach souls for Christ. Because we, we would, I think we would be strengthened. And we'd have a greater boldness to share Christ. But we see this in, in the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, then the disciples, every man according to his ability. Look at it again. There it is. We're talking about those gifts in those verses before. And then here we talk about this as according to their ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren. 
which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so uh, they're just being a blessing to one another. We see it in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 5. Moreover, brethren, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, sorry. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. <coughs> Excuse me. How that in a great tribal affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, and I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying, <coughs> excuse me, us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did. I want you to note this last part. And not as we hope, but first gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So we see this great fellowship in ministering to one another. And in AKI, <clears throat> excuse me, in Romans 15, 26, for it, ple- for it hath pleased them a Macedonian of Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. And listen, I do understand that these, uh, these are primarily examples of financial support and giving, but I want to remind you for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think this was a people that cared for the other people of God. Uh, they had a deep desire to fellowship. And our outward expression of love and support comes from within. Do you love the church family? Do you love them enough to get through the awkward conversation? To get to know somebody? Uh, to put some effort into that? And, and I would say this, this kind of fellowship is really a natural result of obedience to the scriptures and the teaching of Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so our, our fellowship, we certainly we enjoy a vertical fellowship with the Father, uh, but that impacts our horizontal fellowship. Uh, we, uh, a proper love for God and fellowship with Him will drive our horizontal fellowship with others. You say that you love God, but you don't do anything for anybody. That's contrary to Scripture. Uh, that, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does talk about our works will reveal our true religion, if you will. So I do not think we can overstress the importance of fellowship in the local church. And certainly we need to be careful that we don't allow self-centeredness to disrupt our fellowship. Listen, don't come to church looking for what you can get. Come to church looking for what you can do for somebody else. What kind words can you share? What kind of acts can you do for somebody But tonight I want to leave you with some practical suggestions that I think will enhance our ability to have proper fellowship. So for those of you who are sleeping, you can wake up. Here's the practical application of what I want you to hear tonight. Be at all the church gatherings that you're physically able to. You need to be in your place. Uh, You're a part of the body. You have a critical thing. And I came across, it's funny, I was making fun of social media, but I came across a social media post. (laughs) 
And I think this, I don't have Twitter. I think this was a tweet. What do they call it now? It's X. It's not Twitter. Whatever. I don't know. But this is Dan Ortland. Forgive me. He's a Presbyterian. But I think he hits the nail on the head here. Listen to what he says. Staying home to watch church is like staying home from a friend's wedding to watch the ceremony virtually and keeping your wedding gift with you. Your presence and solidarity and love and hugs and eye contact and singing are needed. It is not just about passively receiving something. It is about being an embodied part of the celebration. The whole event is diminished by your absence. And you have a gift to give. End quote. Listen, fellowship is participation. You can't fellowship from the live stream. And listen, if you're struggling, uh, you need the connection of a warm human body, uh, a hearty handshake, maybe an awkward southern hug for those huggers. So the first thing I would say is you need to be here. Number two is learn the names of every member and visitors. Regular attenders, maybe we would say. Listen, we have a church directory. All the names are there. Uh, and, and listen, I'm terrible with names. Ask my wife. I don't know how many times I look to her. What's their name again? But when I started putting effort into it, I started to remember because I realized it was important. I want to shake somebody's hand and call them by their name. Now, I don't always do that. I, I use sir and ma'am a lot. I don't know if that's my military background. I, I just use sir and ma'am a lot. But um, maybe sometimes I say sir or ma'am because I did forget your name at that moment. But, uh, so I'm not perfect. But listen, what I'm talking about is putting effort. Do you even care to get to know the people that you gather with? So learn the names of the people that are here. Take notice, number three, take notice of the cares and the joys of your fellow Church family, listen, during prayer request time, listen and pay attention. And you'll find out who's hurting and what's going on in their life and what needs they might have. And listen, listen to the praise reports. You can weep with those that weep and you can rejoice with those that rejoice. But listen, you have to be engaged in the service. You have to pay attention. Listen to the announcements so you know what's going on at the church. That's not the time to disconnect from the service and just vegetate until we stand and shake hands or the choir stands up. It, those are opportunities for us to engage and get involved and increase our fellowship because we know what's going on. I don't know why I want to harp on that, but listen to the announcements. I don't know. It's right. Listen to the announcements to know what's happening. I got it in parentheses. But, and that's number four. It's in line with engaging the service. Say amen. I get it. I'm from the West. I don't do it a lot. I think Adrian hears me say it occasionally. But, but listen, I, but what I'm talking about is engaging and involving yourself in what's taking place here. Uh, a, a good amen is, is a blessing. And listen, now that I preach more frequently, I understand the blessing it is to have the congregation responding. It's encouraging. It, sometimes you know, hey, I'm hitting the right spot here. It, it's effective. They're, they're attentive. They're not just bumps on a log waiting to get out of here on Wednesday night. 
So engage in the service. Number five, pray for those with special needs. I talked about, you know, making sure that you do that a minute ago. But listen, mention them by name in your private prayers. Take those things that people have rejoiced about and have asked prayer about and go home and make it a personal matter of prayer. We talked about in that list of those one another's and how we can have fellowship about praying for one another. I don't think there's anything more intimate about praying for somebody. It will turn your heart. Listen, there have been people that I wanted to strangle. And I knew it wasn't the right thing, so I didn't. And so, but I would pray for them. And God changed my heart and my attitude. And maybe I became more understanding of the challenges they faced or, or whatever the case may be. I don't think there's something more, I really don't think there's anything more intimate that you can do than pray for somebody. And do it in your private prayers between you and God. And I think you'll find that as you pray for those, that when you gather together, your fellowship will be sweeter because you've been thinking of them and engaging God on their behalf. Number six, and we're almost done. Allow yourself to have an approachable personality. I've been told I don't have that. Listen, but you want people to feel comfortable that they can come to you and talk and engage with you. And what am I saying? Work on these things if it isn't that case. If some people, they're just that way. They'll talk to a rock, I, you know. But that's not everybody. But, but work on trying to be approachable. Because it does take work. And, and listen, on that aspect, be transparent. Be genuine. It's okay to let people know that you struggle. It's okay to let people know that you've had victories. But be transparent. Don't be afraid to let others know that you're a real person. There are no perfect Christians. So there's no point in trying to put on a facade here amongst the people of God. And so be transparent. So in closing tonight, how are you contributing to the fellowship of the church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would bind our church together closer in fellowship. Lord, I pray that we would truly have a love one for another. And Lord, that we would be bound together for the cause of Christ. Lord, help us to be to help and encouragement to one another. And that we would grow more, more like Christ through it all. And Lord, that we might glorify you and serve you to a greater capacity than ever before. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.